Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Hey, today we're continuing our series entitled Joshua Strong and Courageous. We've been uh, taking a look at the life of Joshua, this incredible godly leader who uh, led the children of Israel ultimately into the promised land. And uh, so we've been in this for a handful of weeks. How many of you know there's, there's a lot of moving parts in this story of Joshua, and they're all really good, and they all have uh, all kinds of phenomenal, just pure gold that we can take away and apply to our lives right now. And so we started out really talking about uh, week one. We talked about how uh, there was some training that went into Joshua before he became Uh, the leader of Israel. And then we talked about how there was a transition from Moses uh, being the leader to now Joshua leading the people. We talked about uh, the children of Israel finally crossing the Jordan River and the the miracle uh, that God did by holding back the water and the children of Israel passed through that. We talked about the, the the significance of that and, and the principles that we learned from that one moment. And last week, I talked a little bit about Jericho talked about how they finally arrived and they were facing Jericho and how through the power of God and uh, Israel's commitment to what he was saying, their obedience, they were able to conquer this powerhouse called Jericho. The walls came tumbling down, right? And, and really, this was the culmination of 600 years of the Israelites pursuing the promised land. They had arrived. And like any good movie, we can go ahead and roll the credits because that's the end of the story. But actually, it's not. In fact, Joshua was just getting started. You can, what are you talking about? There's more to this story. They just got to the promised land. They defeated the powerhouse, the empire, and now it's party time. Well, no, 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 no. We're just really now getting started. And Joshua was just getting started. Uh, You know, this time of year, really from spring until about the beginning of September, here in the Pacific Northwest, and really across the country right now, this is called climbing season, okay? Mountain climb, and Connor just popped, head popped up right here, my brother on the front. I'm actually excited that you actually are sitting right there on the front row, because Connor is a world-class mountain climber. You were climbing yesterday, man. I follow this guy, like, I live my life vicariously through Connor, because he's like somewhere in, in, in America climbing some mountain. It seems like every other day. So, but anyway, this is when people are out climbing. And if you go to Rainier today, it's packed. And uh, it's just a beautiful time to be out uh, on the mountains. And so a few years ago, I, uh, I, and I try to bring this up a lot because it's pretty much my only athletic uh, accomplishment that I've contributed to the world. A few years ago, me and a handful of guys, we climbed Mount Rainier. And we were successful. We made it to the top. And I'll never do it again, okay? I just want to say that. Like, that, that was it. And that, I pushed it way too far. And if I would have known the pain I was going to endure, I would have never even signed up for that. But we did it, and I've got the picture in my office to prove it. Um, but, you know, when it comes to Rainier, and when you're a novice, and when you're, like, not ever really in shape like me, uh, you need a lot of training, okay? Like, you, you need, like, for me, it was a whole year, okay? So, like, it was, like, a year of, it was the stadium stairs every Saturday. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And um, 
part, part of the process is you, you have to climb smaller hills. And one of those hills, which is actually a mountain, is Mount Adams down in Yakima. And so before we got to climb Mount Rainier, we had to go conquer Mount Adams, which is kind of like the training grounds for Rainier. And so I'll never forget that. We drove down there, I mean, about four or five other guys. And, you know, you can do it either in two days or one day. And because we all got a bunch of kids, we decided to do it one day and get home to our wives. But I don't know if that was that smart because you did it in two days either. And I was like, I should have done it like you. But we did it in one day, and which means that we started climbing at 2 a.m., 2 o'clock in the morning. And so you just, it's just you drudge for like hours on hours. And, and there's a spot, Connor will tell you, on the route where you kind of come up over this bluff and it's an area called Lunch Counter. It's, it's, it sits at about 9,000 feet. And once you, I mean, you're just climbing, climbing. And by the time we got to this part of the climb called Lunch Counter, and the reason why they, they call it that is because you literally, you overlook it. It's like you're sitting at a, at a counter overlooking the Yakima Valley. But anyway, we, we finally get there. And, and by the time we, we get to this part and the sun had just come up, right? So it's gorgeous sun coming up. And we come over this bluff, right? And it's like, oh, like you feel you feel like you did it, like the thing's done. And we got up to this lunch counter, and I'll never forget, I felt like, I felt very accomplished. I was like, I conquered this mountain. It was like, this is it. In fact, I have a picture of, of me sitting up there. Yeah, that, that was right there. And look at me, I'm just, I'm just living life. Do you got the legs crossed? And like, that's an accomplished climber right there. I'm such a poser right there. But Anyway, I think I even have like the, the Olympic National Forest hat on. I mean, I'm just posing my face off and I'm sitting there. I'm like, good to go. And I'll never forget. I looked at my buddy, Steven, who was sitting next to me. And this guy is like a monster climber. I said, we did it, man. We made it. And I'll never forget. He looked at me and said, bro, <laughs> he even laughed. He's like, I'm sorry to tell you, we're just getting started. <laughs> like, like we ain't even close to getting there. We're like, we're just getting started. And boy, was he right. Connor will shake his head because the next handful of hours was a living hell. I'm telling you, it was, it was hard. You have the, 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 uh, the gases from the volcano hitting you in the face. I mean, it's miserable. But I finally got to take this picture at the very end, man. And that's the top of Mount Adams. And that was pretty cool. And I got to stand like where that little, that little thing is right there in the corner. Like that's like the top of Mount Adams. And we all gathered and looked out at our kingdom. You know what I mean? Like it was like, we did it, man. And I was thinking about that even this week that I would have never, I would have never gotten that experience, the memory of that, if I would have just stopped at lunch counter. Now lunch counter is pretty cool, but I still had another three, 4,000 incline to go, feet to go, so that I got to do that. And you know what? We do this from time to time, those of us that are followers of Jesus, those of us that are believers, we experience like a great victory in the Lord, and we decide, yep, I'm done. I'm good. This is awesome. I accomplished this. We're all good now. And there couldn't be anything more farther from the truth. I mean, we, we say it all the time, man. If you have breath in your lungs, right? If you, if you are still living, there's so much more that God has for you. 
There, like until you, 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 are, you are coming off of this planet, like you are in the grave, I'm telling you, he's got even greater things for you, new ideas, new assignments, new plans. I'm telling you, the, some of the seniors that I get to hang around, I'm telling you, they're, some of them are just like, they're running laps around me for the kingdom of God, you know? He's got so much more and so much, so much more calling. And we see over and over in our lives that often the enemy will not only use our failures, like the, the, the mistakes we make to get us to quit, but sometimes he'll even use victories to get us to quit, to get us thinking um, out of alignment with God. And so today we're going to look at this uh, unique story within this within the the timeline and the entire narrative of Joshua and I want you to see exactly what happens right after the children of Israel experience this victory at Jericho something happens literally right after this massive win uh, that kind of changes everything and so I want to look at what happens next in this account of Joshua and we're going to unpack three affirmations for the after meaning I want to give you three reminders today for after you begin to experience what it means to walk in the promises of God and the purpose for your life. So as you, as you set forth on this journey, I want to give you a f- three reminders, really, of what it looks like to fully and, and, and um, intentionally Walk out the promises of God that he has for you. And the first one is this. Write this down because this is a big deal. Don't be disillusioned by disobedience. If you're watching online, write that down. Don't be disillusioned by disobedience. This area of an illusion of not obeying God's instruction and voice is almost always the first trap that the enemy tries to set for us. It's... Let me explain it like this. It's this lure of thinking that we know better than what God has already instructed of us, that our way is better than God's way. This is, this is a, this is, this this is, it's, it's an illusion. It's an illusion is what it is. We get a win, something awesome happens, there's a victory. And all of a sudden the enemy will hit us with, yeah, you won, you did that. And the fact of the matter is, the truth is, no, you did not. You were a part. You were a part of, of walking out what God instructed you to do. Right? Let's look at Joshua. So here we are, the children of God, they, they face this immediately after they conquered Jericho and inhabit the promised land. And chapter six, we just studied it last week. Chapter six is all about this victory at Jericho. It's a huge victory. Now look Look at the very beginning of chapter seven. So chapter six is all about the children of Israel obeying God and and due to them following God's plan, his instruction, huge victory. Now watch what happens in the the chapter right after in the very first verse. This This is what the scripture says. But the Israelites were unfaithful. How many of you know that that's not a good thing? Okay. This is right after they had a huge win. The very next verse says, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Let me stop right there. That phrase, devoted things. I wish I had a whole hour to talk about uh, what that really means. But 
in the Jewish custom, even to this day, this, this, this devoted things refers to gold, silver, the wealth of enemies, cattle. It, it, it refers to things that God has deemed things that are only for him and nobody else. Does that make sense? So that could be, uh, you know, for an example, this in the ancient world, this uh, lamb that is to be sacrificed to God. That's the only thing that it can be used for. You, you can't sacrifice it and then have, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, sheep for, for dinner that night. You know what I'm talking about? You can't take that and sell it, make some money and then buy it. You know what I mean? Like it's a devoted thing. It's only for God. So that's one description of what the devoted things were. Another description is it's the enemies, it's, it's the plunder from the enemies that is deemed unclean. And if you bring it into the camp, it will, def, it will defile the community. So God says, don't, don't touch that stuff, right? So what happens is they have this massive victory at Jericho and right out of the gate, they start applying their humanity and their, their carnal decision-making to the grand scheme of everything that's going on here. So scripture says the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Now, Achan, remember that name. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, uh-oh, took some of them. So here's the devoted things. God says, don't touch it. This dude has another idea, another plan. Scripture says that he took that stuff. Now watch what happens. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The Lord was angry that Israel fell into this silly and quite obvious trap. And it's not like the Lord didn't see him do it. He, saw, he thought he was getting away with it. No, the Lord, the Lord sees everything. You know, uh, we have a couple animals in our home, two dogs, and we talk, I talk about these dogs a lot. Um, the younger dog, the puppy, he's one, he's a mutt. And that dog isn't my dog, okay? I didn't want the dog. My, my daughter wanted the dog. And, you know, she's daddy's girl, and I hate to say it, but she gets a lot of what she, what she wants out of me. I'm just, I'm sorry. My one and only daughter, firstborn, and she knows how to work it. Like, she, 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 can, she can get the best of me from time to time. And so in a very weak, it was a very weak time in my life, I, I, I succumbed to the pressure and I went to South Tacoma Way in the parking lot of a Mexican restaurant, and I bought this little mutt, right? And we got it home, and I, I wish I could say I've fallen in love with this mutt. I really haven't. Uh, I put up with him. And what's fascinating about it, it's not even my dog, but I'm the one that feeds the dog, bays the dog, takes the dog out 48 times. The dog slept with me last. I mean, I'm telling you, like, this dog that happens to be, by the way, it's actually her dog. I think I have a picture, just so you can see this, this creature, yeah, so there's Izzy, and that's, she even holds it like a human, like it's, it's like a baby, right? Walks around the house like that. That's her dog, Gizmo, okay? So I just want to set the record straight. Gizmo is your, is like your Disney cliche Steven Spielberg dog, right? He digs, he likes bones, he barks way too often, that kind of thing. And kind of trained, not really trained. Um, so a few weeks ago, my wife brought Gizmo home. He loves rawhide bones. You know what I'm talking about? So we were up on the deck. It was one beautiful evening a couple weeks ago. We, had, we got kind of a, um, 
uh, a two-story house with this, you know, sit on the deck. And, and we're sitting out there, and she comes, and Gizmo's laying out in the sun. You know what I mean? Just living life. He's got his water bowl there. I mean, living the dream, sunning, you know. And he, Ash comes and gives him the bone, right? He goes crazy. And what do you think that dog did with that bone? Well, he laid down and he caressed it and he chewed it for the rest of the night. No, it's not what he did. He took that bone and what did he do? Yep, took it down to be buried, to never be seen again, I suppose. So this dog takes the bone and he takes off down the stairs and he thinks that we don't see what's going on. And Ashton and I just sat there at the patio deck there on the, on the, uh, the table and we just watched this dog for the next 20 minutes dig this hole, right? And this little guy, right? Dirt's going everywhere. And he managed to get that bone in the ground and he put all the sand and it was like, it never happened. And that dog came running back up the stairs like he had just gotten away with something. But the problem was it was written all over his face. And you can see right there that he didn't get away with anything because I saw all of it. I saw what he did. He tried to hide that thing from me. And sure enough, it was written all over his face. I knew it not only because I saw it, but the evidence was there too. That little guy thought he had gotten away with hiding that bone. And you know, we do this all the time with the Lord. <laughs> I mean, confession. It's like there, there's things that we do that we just almost, a lot of it's just in the subconscious. Like we just feel like, oh, God, God doesn't see what's going on here. He's not paying attention. He's got more important things to do, right? <laughs> like, like he doesn't, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to do A, B, and C or whatever it is. And whether it's, I mean, just little things too. It's like, hey, he's not really, you know, it's like an integrity issue. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't see what's going on here. But the fact of the matter is he sees all of it. He says everything that's going on. And not only does he see everything that's going on, he knows all things. That's who God is. And this is what Achan did. He took the devoted things, which if you read on in the chapter, in, in that context, it was gold, it was silver. In fact, he grabbed one of the enemy's robes. So it must have been a pretty awesome looking robe. And he took all that stuff back to his tent and he buries it in his tent. And I think he had to arrive at a few assumptions before he'd be willing to do this. The first thought that I had is he... He'd have to assume, like Gizmo, that no one actually saw it. More specifically, no one actually saw his cold, dark heart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no one actually knew what his motives were. No one actually saw that. And then he has to assume that God says and thinks ultimately, the things that he says ultimately really doesn't apply to him. Oh, God's talking about what he's saying, the devoted things. That's for the rest of them. That, that doesn't apply to me. And I want you to see here, it's not just Achan that this bad seed is getting into. It's actually Israel's leadership as well. We'll go to the text. Starting in verse 2 of chapter 7, it says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up, they obeyed him, and they spied out Ai. It sounds similar to Jericho, right? Verse 3. When they returned to Joshua, they said, now watch what they say here. They said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. You know what? 
we've arrived on this number. Just go ahead and send two or 3,000 men to take, uh, to take it and do not weary the whole army for only a few people live there. <laughs> like They did the assessment and based on their assessment and their deep knowledge, uh, just use a fraction of the army. We'll knock them out with just a handful of guys. And I, I want you to see this, to quote the movie, Remember, Remember the Titans. Remember the movie, Remember the Titans? Attitude reflects leadership. Attitude reflects leadership. And not one time are we told that Joshua seeks the Lord about what to do here. Not one time does he go, hey, hey, hey God, we got, this next, we got this next battle coming up here. What do you want us to do? He gets this big win at Jericho, which by the way, all he simply did was follow the instruction of God. That, that seemed to work. But for some reason, he, what happens? He gets disillusioned. And that leads to disobedience to where Joshua is saying, guys, <laughs> go check out AI. Let me know what's going on. And somehow that same seed of disillusionment, that seed of disobedience, that seed of self-will and carnality that gets inside of Achan, it's some, watch how like this, this is, you talk about a pandemic, this thing can spread so quick. It gets into Joshua who then downloads it into his new set of spies so the spies are going out with this attitude inside of them and they get to Ai and they go oh man this is a piece of cake remember what we did at Jericho oh you know what we'll tell Joshua to let the other guys have a spa day right like like they don't they let them get the rest we'll knock this place over and just like that there's nobody even here we got this we're the big deal Look what happens here. Israel encounters AI and it's time for the walk of shame. <laughs> like they get embarrassed. Look at the text, verse four. So sure enough, Joshua obliges to their request. He says, so about 3,000 went up. Now watch this, well, look what happened. But they were routed by the men of AI who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. I love this role reversal here. Now, instead of their enemies, we read, in, uh, we, we read last week, that the kings of Cain and the enemies, the, the writer says that their hearts melted with fear because they heard about what happened at the Jordan River. Now it's the children of Israel whose hearts are melting with fear because AI just ran them out of town. So that's the first thing. Man, after a massive win or a victory in God, don't get disillusioned because it'll lead to disobedience, which will lead to calamity. That's the first one. The second affirmation for the after is this. Don't stop at the sorrow, but rather invite his searching. In this moment, Joshua experiences the pain of defeat, and I believe he recognizes that something is off. He goes, uh-oh, I didn't expect for that to happen. And something clicks inside of him to where he knows that something isn't right. Something's off. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Go back to the text. <clears throat> Verse six says, then Joshua tore his clothes. So he realizes something went wrong. 
And now he enters into a, a place of repentance, humility, in a very symbolic way, which signaled something to the entire community. So Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. So they're, they're full of sorrow and sadness, but look where the sorrow leads them. It leads them back into old patterns. This is, this is the danger. When you start doing it back, when you start disaligning yourself with what God's doing, you begin to disobey, you enter into calamity issues, and then you start thinking the way you used to think. Watch what happens here. Verse seven, and Joshua said, look, look what he says here. Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us in the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Now, this is gonna sound familiar. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Like, seriously, Joshua? If only we would have just stayed in Egypt. We, we heard that line a few times, right? <laughs> like, if we would have just stayed on the other side of the Jordan, we would have been content there. We, this, would be, this wouldn't be happening right now. Starts thinking, old ways of thinking. This can creep into your life again. Verse eight, pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe, us, wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? So at the end there, you start to see that finally, finally he begins to shift to asking God what to do. And sometimes in our own lives, I've experienced this, it requires a low place. It requires a tough season. It requires COVID-19 to touch us in a way. It, it, it requires something that we didn't expect that maybe we even contributed to that gets, jars us, right? And gets us back to asking God, what do you want me to do now? I've, 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 I've charted my own path and it's not working out. God, what do you want me to do? And we see this right now. This is what Joshua was saying right here. And God answers him. God sees his heart and he begins to respond. Now look what he says here, verse 13. He says, go consecrate the people. Meaning get them, get them right, man. man get, get, I mean, like sanctify the joint, man. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. What is he saying that applies to us today? He's saying we'll never walk in the fullness of his power for our lives when we are walking in blatant disobedience to his instructions. It's exactly what's going on here. God says there's devoted, you, you stole things in Jericho. You went against what I told you to do. And that seed is now in your camp. And until you get that fixed, I can't bless you. I can't make things right. You have a decision to make here. And then instead of the Lord just pointing out the, the guilty party, you can read, the, I'm not gonna read the rest of that chapter, but you can read in that chapter that Joshua has Every tribe, 
every family, every person. He marches them all across the front. And the guilty party shows up and it's aching. And in fact, there's this process of searching. You know, I said, don't just get hung up on the sorrow, but allow God to search your heart. That's what David says in Psalm 139, verse 23. He says, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is how the Lord desires to work in us, friends. Revealing to us continually the areas of our lives that need to be addressed, that don't, are not in alignment with what he has for us, that don't align with his own word. And by the way, this doesn't end well for Achan and his family. <laughs> I mean, this is where, this is where uh, you know, if you need to look away, you can. But scripture says that Joshua rounds up Achan and his entire family. They take him out in the middle of nowhere. They stone the whole family and light them on fire. Okay, bow your heads. <laughs> but like... Like, didn't end well for Achan. But for the rest of the camp, for the rest of the children of Israel, watch what happens here in, uh, as we move along in Joshua chapter 8. But before I get to there, I just want to reiterate the first thought. Don't be disillusioned by disobedience. Don't stop at the sorrow, but rather invite him into the searching of my heart. So you're gonna, you're gonna, there's going to be times where you mess up or and you're upset about it, you're sorrowful, in that moment you can stop and say, Lord, what can I learn from this? Is there, like, like, like show me, show me the areas of my heart that I need to give over to you. And he'll do it. And that's where the healing begins. But here's the third thought that I have, this last affirmation for the after, and that is don't forget, I love this, don't forget that he repurposes our regrets. Now that's different than how the world views mistakes and regrets and sin because it because in our society in the world this right here (laughs) right you now get a label this this becomes part of your identity in the world but as a follower of Jesus we just received holy communion together Jesus came to wipe this out of your life to forgive you of these right in fact, Scripture says that, and I paraphrase, that the Father erases these from His own mind, okay? So when He sees you, He doesn't, he doesn't, see you, he doesn't look at you and go, oh yeah, I, I know your laundry list, JF. Oh yeah, no. Scripture says that He looks at me and, and all He sees is righteousness. What? I don't even like saying that. That doesn't feel right because I know who I am. But you know what God does? He takes these and he does, he does this. So not only does he heal you of these, repurpose means that he now uses these for his glory, for his kingdom. You know that word repurposes? You know, like, like you take, like uh, my wife and I, we love like uh, going to secondhand, like Goodwills, and especially like in small towns where they don't know what they have. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you can't go to like vintage stores in downtown Seattle because it's like they know what they got. Everything's marked up. But man, if you go out to, I don't know, you name it. I'm not going to name any names, but just, just some little town, you know, in the breadbasket of America, there's some gems out there. I'm talking, and we love furniture. So it's like we love, you know, finding a cool, you know, 
piece of furniture and it's like $2.38. And then what do we do? We take it home. It had been outcast, right? Someone looked at that as junk. And that's why it's, you know, it, that's why it's in that Salvation Army to begin with. Ah, oh, that thing's a piece of garbage. But man, other people come along and they, they go, man, this is, this is vibey, man. This is bohemian. You know what I'm talking about? This is cool. This is, sw- this is swaggy. I don't know what I'm talking about. But they get it. They get it, man. They bring it home and maybe they refinish it, right? Maybe they, maybe they throw some lacquer on that puppy, right? And what do they do? They repurpose it not only back to its original intent, but now it's like, people are like, oh, you got a dope pad, bro. Where'd you get that? Man, is that, is that restoration hardware? Maybe, you know, it's like, like, like it's, right? You see what I'm saying here? So he takes, so, so God takes your mistakes. He heals you, but then he says, if you, wanna, if you wanna help further my kingdom, there's people that are walking through that thing right now that I'm gonna put in your life. That's exactly what we see happen at the end of this portion of the story. And Ashley and I were even thinking about this week. That's why we love recovery ministries. In fact, in the first sermon, my buddy Mitch texted me. He's like, bro, thanks for for plugging, you know, recovery ministries. And specifically, one of them that we are, our churches and partner with is Teen Challenge. And Teen Challenge is a faith-based 501c3 nonprofit that walks along those, uh, walks along with friends that are on their road to recovery. It's a beautiful thing. And how many of you know, maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you're, on, you're in recovery right now. You, how many of you know that that's not an overnight thing? That's really a lifetime thing. Like once you're, you've, once you're willing to say, hey, I have a problem with addiction issues, like that's a lifelong road to recovery. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you're committed. And, and that's a good thing. That doesn't make you less of, less of anything. It's just, it's just like, wow, this is one of my blind spots. I mean, we all got stuff that we're dealing with, right? And it's cool in these, in these recovery ministries is that people walk alongside with, the, with those people. And, and 98% of the time, it feels like, I'm throwing, a lot of the time that the people that are walking alongside that person who's at that stage in their recovery are farther along in their, on their recovery and that person's able to help this person. What a beautiful picture of the gospel and the gospel at work. When you're able to take the, the regrets of your life, and how many of you know, maybe you're sitting here and, and, and you can relate to that story where there was a section of your life where you were owned by your addiction. But now you're not owned by it. You're using that experience to help somebody else who's in the middle of it right now. That right now. It's called reper- repurposing our regrets. And I hope that encourages you today. You don't have to look at your past and just see brokenness and shame and and be ashamed of that. You can say, you know what? Yeah, I walked through that. But I'm telling you right now, the Lord started a healing process in me. And yeah, I still... I still have some tendencies at times, but man, I'm walking in victory. And not only doing that, I'm walking along someone who's at a different stage in their recovery. It's a beautiful thing. And now watch what happens here. With all that said, here's the happy ending. All right, it wasn't so happy for Achan, but for the rest of them, it's gonna be okay. Look at uh, chapter eight. I'm gonna read this and then we're gonna pray. I've gone a little bit longer than normal, but anyway. Joshua chapter eight, the very top. Now, Now, with that in mind, repurposing our regrets. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered you, I've delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Except, now watch the difference here, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. So in Jericho, didn't want you to do that. Ai, you can do it. Have at it. Carry it off. Do your thing. This is what he says. Set an ambush behind the city. Verse 3. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000. Man, that sure increased from 3,000. He, he chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. I and all those with me will advance on them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, they're running away from us and as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from, from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. You see what the Lord did right here? This is really cool. Right here in this instance, he takes their previous mistake. He repurposes that previous mistake and now it becomes part of the new battle plan. Are you hearing me today? I mean, you think about that. The, the thing that got them in trouble is now the thing that God is using to actually take ground. I mean, think about that. Apply that to your own life right now. That mess that you walked through, that you brought on yourself, God not only will heal you and forgive you of that thing, man, he'll repurpose it and man, he'll use it to advance his kingdom and you get to be a part of it. I'm telling you, it's the coolest thing. When we're willing to submit everything to the Lord, nothing is wasted. He can use everything, even your screw-ups even your mistakes, the goodness of God's incredible grace always means that he can use old pain to bring new provision. Get your smartphone out, tweet that right now. I tell you what, that is good. He can use your old pain to bring new provision in your life and those around you, those that you're going to have an impact on. The Lord would say to you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that you screwed up, but my grace is so big. It's so vast. It doesn't make sense to you. I know that. You see yourself in one way. You, your mind is too small to understand why it is I do what I do. I love you so much. It's so compre comprehensive. Watch me turn it and make it work for you for others and for my kingdom. Come on, bow your heads across this auditorium. If you're watching online, bow your heads. I wanna pray for you today. Today, maybe you're watching from your apartment or I got some friends that text and said, hey, we're, we're, we're on vacation and we're tuning in right now. Wherever you're at, it's all, this is summertime, wherever you're at, if you're here in the building, you say, pastor, will you pray for me? I feel so off track. I've 
plotted my own course and it's led me into sheer destruction. I'm, I just feel like I'm imploding and I know it has everything to do with not having Jesus in my life. And today, would you pray for me, Pastor? I want to make my peace with God. I want to invite Christ into my life. You were talking about recovery and addiction issues. Man, I'm in the middle of that right now. Maybe, maybe it's substance. Maybe it's something else. It, it could be codependency. It could, I mean, man, we, we, we self-medicate, especially during this season. We fill, we fill our lives with so many other, Christians do this. We fill our lives with so many other things other than more of Jesus. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Say, will you pray for me? I want to say yes to Jesus. And if you're, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise your hand. But you just, just receive that. Just, we're going to pray in 10 seconds here. And as I pray, you, you pray a version of this in your own life. Maybe you're here, another group of people. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus. But man, you're just, you've been disillusioned. Maybe there was a season of, 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 of spiritual prosperity in your life that God was moving in your life and, and something happened. Maybe, maybe just COVID-19 showed up, whatever it is. And there was like this trigger effect where you started dictating everything that you were doing based on just the way you felt. And you weren't even, you weren't even uh, getting any guidance from God. I mean, I'm, I, hey, I, I'm talking to myself too. There's moments where it's like, I've got to make a decision right now, a quick decision. And I don't even like, I don't even stop and ask God for direction. Man, but we're human and we do this from time to time. If that's you, I want to pray for you too. Man, you're going to heaven. You're going to spend, but like right now you're just in a, you're in a, you're in a jam. And it's like, you know, it has everything to do with doing it your way. Just getting disillusioned, which leads to disobedience, which leads to hardship. And this is like, three quarters of my ministry walking with people that are dealing with this one specific issue. It's part of life. But right now, I'm going to pray for you. If that's you, just join me in this prayer. Lord, God, we just stop. First of all, we say thank you for your word. Man, what a story. What a, what a, what a picture of just what it looks like to, to, to listen to you, to do what you're calling us to do, to apply kingdom principles to our life, not society's principles to our lives, to understand exactly what you said, Jesus, and, and not what the media says. Lord God, I, we're, we're grateful that we live in a free nation where we can do what we're doing right now. But Lord, I pray that we would make decisions, that we would base our, as followers of Jesus, that we would base our lives. We were just singing about a foundation that doesn't shake and his name is Jesus. God, may we look to you for direction. May we structure our family core based on what you said, Jesus, and not what man says. So Lord God, I pray right now, if you're listening, to this, uh, if, if you hear my voice and you wanna say yes to Jesus, do it right now. Say a prayer, something like this. Lord, I invite you into my brokenness. <laughs> Lord, I feel like there's parts of my life like that little mutt gizmo that I've been, I think that you don't see, but you know, you know all things. You know all things. And so, Lord, you know every detail. God, I give it to you right now. Come into my life. Heal me. My relationships, the decisions I've made. 
God, heal me of my regrets, but not just that. Repurpose them. Set me on track. Set me on pace to what it is you have for me. God, I pray right now that you would come into my life. I believe in you. That's the requirement for salvation according to John. Simply believe and be saved. But may it not just stop there, but may it move into a life full of assignment, mission, and purpose. God, for my friend who's simply slipped off track, they love you, but they've allowed exterior forces to impact the decisions they've made and and they've let them off track. They've let them down. They've put more of their faith, more of their trust in humanity versus putting all of it in God. They felt betrayed. They felt let down. God, I just pray right now that they would just give you, give it, give everything that they have to you, including their decision-making, that you would give them new thoughts, new ways of doing. Sometimes what you're saying doesn't feel natural. But even in those moments, Lord God, may we humble ourselves and just simply obey what you're telling us to do. A lot of the time it feels good to respond to somebody who's hurt us the way we want to. But Lord God, Jesus, you said never take revenge. You said to love our enemies. You said to walk an extra mile. You said to not only give them the shirt, but give give them your coat too. You said to turn the other. All of these radical things you said, Jesus, may we just begin to apply some of these to our lives, that we wouldn't act, we wouldn't make decisions based from a, from a, from a emotional, you know, feeling moment, but rather that we would be grounded in you. May we walk in peace, gentleness, harmony, unity, quietness. These are all principles that St. Paul gave us through the Holy Spirit. God bless my friends. We thank you for this moment together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.